Welcome to the Gathering Church Podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. For more info about The Gathering, you can check out thegathering.online. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's today's message. And uh, I don't know about you, but I feel like after Monday, Halloween, the atmosphere has kind of shifted. And uh, this is just kind of a pet peeve of mine. I have to say this every year. I said it last year. I'm going to say it next year. Um, the next holiday is not Christmas. It is, yeah, it is Thanksgiving, all right? Now, I love Christmas as much as anyone else. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I think it's ironic that we, as people, will bypass the moment of t- giving thanks to God and just move on to the next thing. Isn't that kind of like our culture? Like, we don't have time to give thanks. Let's just move on to what's next. And so, uh, listen, I, I love the Christmas carols. I love decorating lights. But maybe just wait till after Thanksgiving. Just, just an idea. Um, I'm sure I've persuaded nobody to change their mind on that, but I'm just doing what I can. All right, today we're starting a brand new series. I hope you guys enjoyed. Did you guys enjoy At the Movies? Was that fun for anybody? Um, it was a really good time just getting to look at some movies, but also look at Scripture and connect them And I had a good time, but I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to stop trying to parallel movie and some scripture and to just get into the message. Today, we are starting a brand new series called Money on My Mind. Money on my mind. That's right. We're going to talk about money and church. I saw a couple of you like grab your wallet like, is it there? Nothing happened to it, right? Nothing changed. Money is a constant part of our life, right? We think about it. We talk about it. Can you believe the gas prices, right? Can you believe how much groceries cost these days? We are always talking about the cost and what it costs. Think about, think about finances in marriage, right? What, what is one of the number one factors, one of the main things that uh, a marriage, we might argue about in our marriage? Finances. It's one of the top things people argue about. How much should we spend? How much should we save? Money is a massive, constant factor And there's a reason that God talks a lot about money and possessions throughout the Bible. Some people say, well, the Bible, that was written so long ago. It's not really relevant now. I bet you if you look at what it says here in the scriptures we're going to look at today, you will see relevance to your life all over how you handle your finances. And through this series, we're going we're to take some of our own content. We're also going to kind of look at some content from Pastor Robert Morris from Gateway Church. He has done an excellent job over the years Uh, with a series called The Blessed Life. You can find that on YouTube. Uh, He revamped that recently to a new one called uh, Beyond Blessed. And there's a book out that I read about it. So some of that we'll be adapting. Some of it will be our own content. But if you want more information, I cannot recommend that content enough for you. Um, Today, before we talk about money, we have to start with kind of a broader concept uh, that started at the beginning of time. But in the beginning of time, there wasn't currency Before there was even, you know, bartering and trading, God had an original concept for the world that he created. And today's message is called First Things First. First Things First. It's a very simple phrase. You may have heard it before. It's saying, let's focus on what should come first. Let's keep our priorities in check. So let's look at first today, Genesis chapter 1, how God prioritized creation. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. He said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, 
And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I always love that phrase. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So in Genesis chapter 1, God, he, he's created everything, right? The light from the darkness, the world, the land, the sea, the moon, the stars, the sun, all creation. Then he says that man will take dominion and then he creates man. And I found it interesting that God says, let them have dominion twice. Before he created humans, and he said it again, after he created humans. And I think what God is saying is, it is intentional that he is making sure we understand that God designed humans to rule over his creation. We have always been created with the intent to have an impact on our environment. I'm going to say that again. You and I, from the beginning of time, we were created to have an impact on our environment. We were created to affect the world around us because God delegated his authority and responsibility to us. And he says he created male and female. He blessed them and instructed them to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it to have dominion over everything that was on the earth. Now we know dominion, it means to, to dominate, to rule over. Similarly, subdue, it means to force something under your control. And I wanted to look up that word in the Hebrew, and I found that it, it also means to tread down. The Hebrew word for that is kavash. And as I was looking at that word, we see it in Genesis 1, and then you can actually find that word again in Micah chapter 7. Very quickly, let me show you what it says in Micah 7, 19. It says, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depth of the sea. I thought it was amazing that from the beginning of time, that word has had two meanings. It meant that we are to subdue the world, but it also means that God is saying, I'm going to take control over your sin and your iniquity. I think someone should praise God for the fact that he is so compassionate that he would tread down that sin. He would overrule the sin, the iniquity, what we were born into. God has said, I've given you dominion in your life, and I'm going to crush the sin under my foot that should be upon you. All right, I think it's a good word, but um, that's fine. Let me show you an example to show you the extent to which God has told us from the beginning what he has created, he has entrusted to you and me. We've been charged with the serious responsibility to subdue and take dominion on this earth, but we have to remember we don't own any of it. We are the steward. We are called to govern and to rule. The first point today is we are the stewards. God is the owner. 
We have to get that right first. We are in charge of stewarding God's creation. We are called to manage, not own, manage God's creation. Do you want more proof that God owns it all? Look at Psalm chapter 24. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Can it get any more straightforward than that? Right? Everything that we have, the earth belongs to God. It's fullness, meaning everything that the world has, everything that the world contains, its wealth, its harvest, its life, its worship, everything in the earth belongs to God. Everything contained in the earth, everyone who dwells on the earth has a claim by God. All of this to say that God is the Lord over everything. He owns it all, and we have to keep that in mind because we can't be a good steward if we don't realize who the owner actually is. Everything that you have is a blessing from God. The relationships that you have, the family that you have, the possessions that you have, the job that you have, the time that you have, it is all a blessing from God. It's all because God created you. You could say, well, no, 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 I have this job because, you know, I got this master's degree and I don't mean to brag, but I've got this great job. Who gave you that mind? Who designed you with a mind to be able to work there? God owns, God created and he owns it all. He's blessed you with family, with children. The Bible says children are a gift from God. So are you stewarding these relationships, are you stewarding these children? Are you taking care? Are you stewarding the finances that God has placed under your care? We are the stewards. God is the owner. And when we think from that mentality, it actually gives you freedom. I don't know about you, but it gives me a sense of relief because, of course, I'm responsible for what I pay as a steward, but I'm not the owner. And I have the most generous owner I could possibly have. Think about as a kid, when, when you want to spend the money, it, it's not your money that you're trying to spend, right? When, when you ask your parents to spend something instead of paying it from your own piggy bank. There's some parents in the room that say, oh yes, my child is very generous with my money. <laughs> but the thing is, that's the problem. It's not your money either, right? It's God's money. Think about if you're on a project at work, when you're not in charge of the budget, when you're not looking where the money goes, it's a lot easier to spend the money because you're just a steward. You're not the owner. We are only stewards. God is the owner. And we look at money as a treasure that we own, and we, we try to possess as much as we can, right? And listen, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with wanting a raise at work. There's nothing wrong with wanting nice things, but be careful what you're putting your identity in. Is your identity, is your worth based on your savings account? Is your worth based on your 401k, your six-figure salary? God wants to bless you, but he also wants to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. And we're going to talk more about that in the next few weeks to come. 
But God is the owner. We are stewarding what he owns. I want to look next at the story of the widow from Zarephath in 1 Kings chapter 17. At this time, Elijah, remember we talked about Elijah a few weeks ago, he is the prophet living during a, a drought in the land. Food is, is scarce, people are struggling, and God directs Elijah to visit a widow. Let's read the scripture, 1 Kings 17, we're going to read verses 8 through 16. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water and a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her again and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. All right, so God directs Elijah to go to Zarephath. Zarephath. Why? What is one of the famous lines that Pastor Dennis has said over the years. God does not lead you to places. He leads you to people. God does not lead you to places. He leads you to people. God is leading Elijah not to a geographical location, but because there's a person there that he wants her to connect with. Now, the funny thing is, it says that God... Let me back up to verse... It says, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. Ironically, the widow doesn't seem to know at this moment that she has been commanded to feed Elijah. Right? Elijah finds this woman and she says, oh, can, can you bring me some water? And I'm picturing in my head, she starts to walk away and he says, oh, can you also bring me some bread too? It's kind of like when the waiter is leaving your table and you muster up the courage to say, hey, can we actually get a little more bread here too? Who's the person that shamelessly is like, I'm asking for more bread. I don't, I don't care if it's been two or three or four. Uh, I know I have an appetizer coming and, and a main entree and, and two sides, but I need some more bread before any of that comes, right? That's what Elijah does in this moment. He has no shame. He says, can you also bring me some bread? But she responds with saying, with God as my witness, I don't have anything made up. There's only a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil, and we're about to make our last meal, my son and I, before we die. This is our last meal. We don't have anything left. We're not going to make it. 
We talked today first about God is the owner. And the second point today is God is the provider. He is both the owner and the provider. He not only owns it all, he provides it all. And what does Elijah say in verse 13? He says, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first. Somebody say, but first. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. The woman might have thought for a second, are you for real? Like, we're on our last meal. How dare you think that I should provide for you before us? What gives you the right to want this food that should belong in our mouths before we can't make it any longer? And it's interesting that there are three times in this passage that God shows himself as the provider. The first time is in that first verse. It says, God says, I have commanded a widow to feed you. So God can provide through people in your life. The second one, Elijah says, after she makes him food, it says that her jar of flour and jug of oil will not be empty until the Lord sends the rain. You might think, what's the big deal about rain? If they had no rain, they had no crops. If they had no crops, they were going to starve. They had no other means. This was their provision, the rain. So God provides through a person. God provides through, through using the natural world around us. And thirdly, Thirdly, it says the jar of flour was not spent, nor was the jug of oil empty according to the word of the Lord. Each area, God is responsible for the provision. God is the ultimate provider. Because, you see, we as people, we can only work with the resources that we have. This widow, she, she could have been the best baker, the, the best uh, mother. She could have been the best anything in the world, but she can only work with the resources that she has. If she doesn't have the resources, she can't do anything, but not God. Not God. God has unlimited resources. There's no limit to what he can do. But it all started with Elijah saying, but first, can you make this for me? First, can you do this? This is a faith-stretching principle. That word, can you do this for me first? Have you heard of the term first fruits? It's talking about the tithe. We're going to dive into that more next week. But what it means is, can you give to God first? Not the leftovers, not the things, not giving to God after you've decided what you want to do with the money, can you give to God first? Why? Because that requires faith. It's not faith if you say, okay, I've spent my money. Here you go, God. That's not faith. In this moment, the widow has a choice to make. Can I first give to him before I take care of my own needs? It takes a lot of faith. It took faith for Elijah to ask that. Can you imagine being that person? I would rather be the widow than him in that problem. I do not want to ask anything of anyone that's down and out. But Elijah knew, I'm asking her because it's going to bless her. And the widow, if she will listen, I'm going to bless her beyond what she could imagine. God is the provider. 
And I want to remind you today that he is the provider before you head to the head on Tuesday to vote. We have a responsibility to vote. Praise God, we, we get that opportunity in this country. But listen, if that person that you vote for doesn't get in, the life's not over. God is still your provider. And also, if that person does get in, he's still not your provider. Okay? I want to make sure we're on the same page. They are not going to save you. God alone can save you. Okay, I'll move away from that topic now. I want to shift to the New Testament as we head to our last point this morning. Jesus is preaching in Matthew. This is further along than Genesis and 1 Kings. There's currency has become more of a thing after Genesis and, and the prophet Elijah. And look at what Jesus says about seeking the treasures of money. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And here Jesus is explaining a key point for us as Christians to remember. Anything that is on this earth, outside of people, is temporary. A human soul is the only thing that we know for certain will have eternal life. I'm not about to get into your theology about where all dogs in heavens go to heaven or not. I'm not, I don't know. But I know that every human soul has eternal life. It's just a matter of where they're going to spend it. And there's nothing wrong with having nice things, but we have to remember they don't have eternal value. They are going to diminish over time. Think about ancient Egypt when the pharaohs would die and they had their pyramids and they'd put themselves in there as they died and they put all of the treasures, all of their riches, all of their jewelry. Because why? Because they wanted to take it with them when they went into the afterlife. We know we can't take that stuff with us. It stays here, but the money that we spend on a human has eternal value. Eternal value. Notice the significance in this passage of where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think I've messed it up before. I've said, you know, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also, but that's not what Jesus says. And it's really interesting where your treasure is, that's the present tense, where it is right now, there your heart will be also. That's the future tense. That's saying wherever your treasure is in your life, your heart is going to gravitate towards that area. It may not be there now, but it's going to head towards what you spend your money on. And I've always thought before, well, if I could just get their hearts, if their hearts are in it, then they'll give. But that's not what this says. Our third point is saying that giving does not follow your heart. Giving reveals your heart. It reveals what is actually your treasure. You show me your credit card statement, I'll show you, you what you treasure. I'll show you what is most important to you. 
Why? Because where your treasure is, what you spend your money, there your heart is going towards that thing. Our money can go a lot of different ways, right? Probably like, I don't want to look at my credit card statement. It'll just give me anxiety of what I spent money on. You know, think about the different things that we spend on. And I'm, I'm not shaming anybody for what you spend your money on. Okay, we all have things that are like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have spent that money on that. Think about hobbies. Think about golf. This is the reason why I just can't play golf. It is too expensive of a sport for me to be terrible at. That's really what the problem is. If I was good at the sport, I'd find a way to justify it, but I'm so lousy. I'm, I'm like trying to give that holier than that. I'm like, well, that's for people that want to spend their money on things. Meanwhile, I'm like, well, I got to watch live sports. I got to see the next Star Wars show. I need Disney+. Plus. You can't just get a TV cable provider, right? You need an Amazon Prime and this and that and that. I'm going to get on a rant if, I don't, if I'm not careful. What do you spend your money on? Pets are great things. They, they, can, they can suck up a lot of your money, right? <laughs> the amount of food they, and going to the vet and all those things, it's a lot of money. It shows you where your treasure is. Anybody have a, a grandpa or a grandma that would spoil them rotten growing up? Or, or maybe you are the grandpa or grandma that's actively right now spoiling your grandchildren. If I go to the store with my parents, I'm not getting anything I ask for out of what I need they're going to bless me. They're going to make sure I'm okay. If I go with my grandparents, they're going to make sure I can get every little piece of candy I want, every random thing that I do not need. Where your treasure is, what you're spending your money on, that's where your heart is moving towards. And we all have things that we'd rather not spend our money on. We'd rather be focused on. But look at what Jesus says after this, the importance of, of what we consider our treasure. Matthew 6, it says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Here Jesus uses the example of a healthy eye and a sick eye. If your eye is healthy, the eye is generosity when it's healthy. When it is sick, it is stingy. Why? Because the eye, you're opening up and allowing the generosity of God to light up your life and the people around you. But God, if God cannot give through you, why should he give to you? If you're not willing to steward the money to bless other people, why should he entrust you with things that you're not willing to bless others with? And then he says, you cannot serve both God and money. You can only have one master. Who will you choose? Money's a great servant, it's a great asset, it's a lousy master. You cannot serve both God and money. And then I think it's interesting that Jesus, after he says this, he ends chapter 6 with this last passage. Alex, can you come up and play as we close? Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, 
what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you will need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. After Jesus instructs them to not lay up treasures for themselves, and he shows the connection of our heart and our treasures, he actually takes them back to reminding them what we learned in our second point, right? That God is the provider. God will provide all of what you need, your clothes, what you're supposed to eat, what you're supposed to drink. Worrying about what you will need is not going to help you. He says, anxiety will not add hours to your life. In fact, there's probably more research to say it will shorten your life. Why do you worry about these things? When you're anxious, you're actually saying to God, I don't trust you to provide for what I need. Do you know that? Don't seek after what your heavenly Father already knows you need. He says, instead, seek first the kingdom of God. What is our focus on? Not seeking the things that we need, seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what does it say will happen when we focus on that first? Jesus says, and all these things will be added to you. Are you prioritizing God first as the owner and the provider of all things? Would you stand with me this morning as we close? I hope that this has been a helpful message for you. This is not telling you to not have nice things. This is not telling you to enjoy life and to go live in a hole somewhere. It's saying, what is your treasure? What is the most important thing to you? God's going to take care of what you need. He is the owner. We are the stewards. He is the provider. We are the receiver. He is the treasure that our hearts should be gravitating towards. Would you pray with me as we close today? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that each day we get to learn more about you if we're willing, if we're open 
if our ears are open to hear what you're saying. I pray that you would help us to keep this in mind when we spend our money, when we spend our time, when we spend all these things that you've blessed us with. First of all, we thank you, God, for what you've blessed us in our life. There are many people in this world that are in need, in desperate need, and we, we are a blessed people. We thank you for that. But we also want to bless others. Give us eyes to see areas where we can bless your people. Speak to us. Speak to our hearts. Maybe if there's an area where we maybe need to cut back on expenses, it, it, it's not as much of a need. It's showing that my treasure is more in this than in you, God. Help us to seek first your kingdom. I pray a blessing on your people here today. That they can live a blessed life in you and through you. We ask all these things under the powerful, precious, wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. The gathering is a place where you can belong to a church that loves you, believe in the God who is bigger than you, and become who God created you to be. For updates, service times, or ways to get involved, check out thegathering.online. And if you enjoyed listening today, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend. We love you. The best is yet to come.